after my stepdaughter was killed, struck by lightning in 2006, I knew when I saw her body in the coffin that something animated the body. It was so completely different from her that I suddenly just knew there is a spirit that animates us. And so in my grief, I thought I'm going to find Susan's spirit if it still survives. So I began meditating that week and have barely missed a day since then in 2006. Meanwhile, started reading everything I could about the afterlife and decided I'm going to find a medium, but I'm not going to tell her my name so she can't Google me. I'm going to be very open-minded, but skeptical. And I took my husband with me. He's a, we're both retired Navy officers. So very left brain, logical thinking. And that medium rocked my world. She gave us evidence about Susan being right there in the room with us that I can't deny. And something that is, that I don't bring up too often, but that thinking back on it just made me question reality in general. We were on the seventh floor of an apartment building. The window was open about just a few inches and this giant potted plant in a big, heavy clay pot fell off the table in the middle of the reading and smashed on the floor. We were so drawn into the experience of connecting with Susan in the reading that we kind of, everybody went, what was that all about? But looking back on it, what was that all about, mm, yeah, you know? Yeah, and so uh, the reading so rocked my world because I could not deny Susan still existed as a person without a body that I decided to write a book about mediumship. I wrote the biography of medium Anne Gaiman. She introduced me to her neighbor, Janet Nohavik, another medium, who asked me to write her book. And in researching Janet's life, I attended one of her classes on mediumship to, to learn how she teaches, what she's like as a teacher. But it's sitting in the back of her room. She was teaching a system to connect with the spirit worlds. And my left brain military side said, wow, you mean you tell the spirits what you want to hear from them? And like a system, they will tell you, this is who I was. This is what work I did. This is how I passed. That's really cool. And Janet said, Suzanne, you can do this too. Come up to the front of the classroom and bring through a spirit who's standing here. And I was ready to kill her because, you know, you don't put me on the spot like that. I'm not a medium, but my Navy training said, somebody asked you to do something. You say, aye, aye. And I, so, all right. I stand in the front of the room and not believing that I could do it actually brought through the things in her system. You know, how old were you? What did you pass from? What kind of work did you do? And it turns out it was the father of a student in the class. I even got his nickname. And it made me say, wait a minute, I could bring people the kind of peace and life-changing evidence that that medium brought for our family. I'm all in. And I became a student of Janet's. Then I traveled to England to study where she studied at Arthur Finley College. And with that military discipline and commitment and the desire to help people, I've just opened it up wide. It's mm. clearly a calling for me. Mm. Mm. Perfect. So when you say that you were able to bring um, the channel, the spirit through, bring the spirit through, 
how what is that experience is it um is it audible is it in your in your mind as thoughts or is it yeah how, how that, that particular experience which we actually recreated in a documentary messages of hope that's on youtube and amazon um that experience to me was like pulling data from the ethers right from the air i heard engineer i heard cancer i heard 70 that was his age i heard twinkle toes but i also saw a head of white hair and i saw a pair of patent leather shoes twinkle toes was his nickname he was a ballroom dancer so because it was my first experience, I was doing what we call snatching data. And to me, it felt like data. But here's Janet, the teacher over here saying, yeah, and your father's saying that he had a ball cap collection and his birthday was March 31st. And I'm thinking, you mean there really is somebody here? Because I didn't feel it. So my first few experiences in the classroom were that snatching of data. And I wasn't happy with that because I know that Susan isn't just data, my stepdaughter. So when I went to England, I set the intention of feeling these people. And that's when it really opened up. I said, I need to feel your personality. Now to this today, it is interactive, real-time, two-way conversations with creative sentient beings. They talk to me, they show me images, we joke. I feel their personality as if it's me. I feel physical pains in my body that replicate what they passed from. So it's very interactive. It's not data, although everything is data. Everything we experience from consciousness comes through as information, frequency, yet how we interpret that is as people. Yeah, yeah. So when you say, for example, you saw um, the head of white hair and you heard the names and the twinkle toes, how was, was that as in you saw them as in an image floating in front of your eyes or was it in your mind? Yes. or It's totally in my mind. If I tell you right now, imagine an apple. Mm -hmm. What just happened? It's just like that. Just like that. I see. Just see it in here. You know what that looks like. Not everybody can do that, I found out. Not everybody has that visual uh, seeing, but it's definitely on the screen of the mind. Some mediums have, that's called subjective clairvoyance. Some mediums have objective clairvoyance where they will see the spirits standing in a room with them as if they are right here. And they are because this is a key point that most people don't understand. There is only here in consciousness. There's no out there. All is experience that's experienced in awareness, which may appear that it's in the body, but it's simply in awareness. Huh. As I say, you're probably one of the most researched mediums on the planet in terms of evidential mediumship. Um, can, can you kind of describe some of the projects that you've been involved with, some of the experimentation? Uh, I, I, I can't at all quantify or identify myself as one of the most researched because I know that there are a lot of people doing research. I just know that I have spent a few days in the laboratory of human consciousness with Dr. Gary Schwartz, where he was simply asking me to do research readings for him. These were not sanctioned by the University of Arizona at the time, so we just call them research readings. But he would ask me to connect with certain people 
and would not tell me anything about them. And uh, it was really kind of stunning. I brought through seven of the spirits that he's working on with his soul phone project. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I went to another organization that has asked, it's very well known and they do a lot of research, but they asked me not to use the name of the organization because they don't want their mediums to use that as a way of marketing themselves. I understand that, you know, like I was tested by this organization, but they put the skull cap on me with all the leads on the brain to see what's happening in the brain as I was doing readings. And one of the most rewarding, you might find this interesting from a consciousness perspective. One of the most rewarding experiences during those experiments, I was in a Faraday-like uh, uh, cage, <laughs> you know, soundproof electromagnetic free area. And the main researcher was hooking me up to the computer, my brain waves, 64 leads, I think. And, uh, as he was setting up, I couldn't see the screen, but I thought, well, we're going to have a little fun here. I'm going to drop into an alpha wave state. And I know the difference because I've trained myself to drop into alpha and theta. I even have hemisync recordings that help you train to do that. So I just took a few deep breaths with that intention. He didn't know I was doing it. And all of a sudden the researcher turns to me and he says, are you an experienced meditator? And I said, well, that's all kind of relative. Why? Yeah. Why do you ask? Yeah. And he said, uh, he said, because he turned the computer screen to me and he said, because we haven't even started yet and you're kicking out some really coherent alpha waves. So it, it and he, the difference was, you know, before I did the deep breaths and the intention to go into alpha, it was just your normal brainwave pattern, beta, alpha, back and forth. And then all of a sudden, all the leads went into synchronization in the alpha wave zone. So that to me is outstanding evidence that we can train ourselves to get into that coherent brainwave state. And that's the optimal state for connecting with the non-physical realities. Yes, absolutely. So um, I'm curious when you say that these things often come through as subjective thoughts and images in your mind how do you differentiate between what is your thoughts and what is um, coming through from a spirit person and that is the greatest challenge for most mediums experience is the key and this to the chagrin of many scientists is why we need feedback from our sitters the recipient of the messages because most of the audible thoughts and the visuals sound like our own thoughts. There are very few spirits who have come through in their own voices and they're only the people that I've met before. And then I hear it in their voice. But if I haven't met them, it sounds like, you know, say to yourself right now, uh, tomorrow is my birthday. That sounds like your own thoughts. That's how the spirit thoughts come through in my own thoughts. So how do you know the difference? When you're a new medium, you ask for feedback from your sitters and they say no, if it's an outright no, like uh, your spirit tells me you had five children, no. Then you say, okay, how did that feel versus when they said something that was a yes? And you just learned the difference in the density of the feeling and it's so subtle. Yet to this day, I get things wrong. And that's what I've, I just found this new term and I love it the mental flotsam 
You know what flotsam is? In on the sea, there's trash floating on the surface. Right. Okay. <laughs> flotsam and jetsam is stuff that's like yes. thrown off of ships. You know. So mental flotsam is this just random stuff, thoughts that just come in your head for no reason. And but generally. The, the information that has no reason to come into your mind is from the spirits. It's like, why would I be thinking of this now? It has to come from the spirit. Whereas if you suddenly have a thought of something you had for breakfast just recently or, or something you just read in, read in the news, that could be just flotsam that's still yes, in your yeah. brain. So it's very spontaneous. Yeah. Is so it is experience yeah. of learning to differentiate your thoughts from those and then Sometimes there's just a knowing this is absolutely from the spirit. So you state everything in a reading at the risk of being wrong. And hopefully a good medium is over 80% accurate. Over 90% is optimal. And what's really great is when the sitter will say, no, that's not right. And later find out you were right. Yes, absolutely. Yes. That kind of adds a level of blindness to the, uh, Yes. To the experience. Um, mediumship is often criticized by those who are more skeptical to the idea. Um, and many mediums are accused of being cold readers or practicing cold reading, hot reading and various other forms of fraud. So um, how, how can we differentiate between those who are doing so and exactly. those that are genuine? Okay. If you're if you're really tuned into your heart, you'll know somebody that's coming from the heart. That's an energy that that's I hold this work sacred and would a, a true medium who does this out of service would never do a cold reading. But some people are really good at faking. So you use that word. How do you differentiate what you look for? And this is why evidence based mediumship is so important is what I call the differentiators. And those are the pieces of information that only the sitter would know, only the spirit would know that differentiate that person in spirit from anybody else. So it's not generalities. And the reason, the way I came up with that term is I asked a dear friend of mine who was a student to do a reading for a woman I'd already done a reading for. And she came back, they recorded it. They knew it was a student reading. And I asked my student, how'd you do? She said, I did great. I got over 90% accuracy. I know it was wonderful. I'm so proud of myself. And I said, okay. Then I went and talked to the sitter who has a son across the veil. I said, how was the reading? And she said, well, it was okay. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And I listened to the recording and my student was correct. It, the son, um, you know, she got his personality pretty accurately. She talked about him being into sports, having trophies, having lots of friends, being very charming, liking the outdoors. All of those things were accurate. But here's what the sitter said that made me come up with the term differentiator. She said, most of the things the students said were correct, but they also all applied to my three nephews who have died. So that's when I started teaching students, ask the spirits to give you those differentiators, the things about the sun or your whoever's across the veil 
that only applied to him. Like the kid that showed me the image really fleeting in my mind of a toothpick sticking out of his mouth. And his mother goes, oh my God, that's my son. He always had a toothpick in his mouth. Now that doesn't apply to too many people. Yes, no. Yeah. And I, I can see kind of the sitter's point of view on, on that example, because I'd imagine that kind of description would apply to a lot of, of sons. Yes. Especially in, with sports and things like that, because a lot of, of males are yes as young people. Yeah. And so a cold reader could probably, I don't even know what it is. I try to stay away from looking into that because I don't want to fall into the trap of doing those behaviors. But I know that has something to do with reading the sitter's body language or looking at their age and then reading their answers and, and building on that. So what I do is between each piece of evidence that comes through from a spirit, even though I like to get into the flow, I create a blank slate so that I don't build assumptions based on what they just said, because you, what we want to look for is the quirks and where they're different in that yes. regard. Yes. Yeah. And I think there's a responsibility on the sitter as well, because I've noticed that whenever um, you see mediumship readings, especially on the television and things like that, which I'm very skeptical of, but you see that whenever there's a miss, or someone says uh, a letter, I sense the name of the letter T or whatever, you, you find that the sitters then come through and say, yes, this is Bob, this is whatever, he was my whatever, and you're feeding information. And that's always worrying for me because then, you know, you, you're effectively giving the, if, if they are fake, you're giving them am ammunition to start building a, a narrative. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think if you're going as a, as a sitter to mediumship, which I've done a few times, yes no and that's it i have asked my sitters to limit to yes no i don't know makes sense doesn't make sense unless there's a burning desire to explain something and that actually sometimes just builds the energy so beautifully that it helps the reading i just reading i just did i said look your daughter in spirit just showed me that the song somewhere over the rainbow is very important to you and i know that's important to a lot of parents but i have not heard that in several hundred readings and she took off her glasses and wiped her eye and said we played it at her funeral so that kind of feedback it doesn't yes, affect the yes. rest of the reading it builds exactly. the, you know it creates this lovely high energy for us to work in if and you the, the, tell your sitter to be completely quiet, give me yes and no, you've put up an energetic wall when this is about the connection. So right. it's a fine line we walk. Yes, but I mean, that kind of example, as you say, isn't really adding much to the arena and it's coming from a fact that is rather obscure in and of itself. Right. And, and, and it one thing yeah. that I always train my students, because it's so important for the ethics and to don't to not give skeptics ammunition is to always state exactly what you sensed and how you sensed it first before you ask any questions. So I'll give you an example of that. Your daughter is telling me somewhere over the rainbow is important to her. Instead of, I hear this so often from mediums, is somewhere over the rainbow important? You know, that sounds like fishing. Uh, did, your, did your daughter have red hair? You state what you're seeing. No. I'm seeing red hair. Now you can say, did she have red hair? If you even need that validation. But uh, some mediums just get in the habit of saying, did they have this? Did they have that? And it looks like 
well, it's showing a lack of confidence in the spirit and themselves. Mm. Yeah. So in terms of, of accuracy, I suppose, of, of your own readings and those that you've worked with, what would you say is the kind of the standard accuracy percentage of those who are genuine evidential mediums? I, I won't even go there. I, I won't. We just aim for the best. We just aim for the highest, you know, and we, we love the highest accuracy. And I don't, I'm not here to compare myself to any other medium. We just can do the best we can do and just know that it always gets better and never settle for where we are. I know that perfection is not possible, so just try to do the best we can. But I do know, I've heard from um, afterlife researchers that a fake reader, or even if you're not trying, you could get 20% accurate. 20, that's nothing. I mean, any, of, if you just make up a story about someone, 20% of it will be accurate. So we've got to get way more than that. That's, you know. And if I do a reading, every once in a while, I'll do one and I'll get like 50. 50% is not landing and they're not taking it. I'll call that reading off because even 50% is not good enough. There's something wrong in the connection here. So I, I, I better get mostly yeses or that makes sense, or I'm not enjoying a good enough connection to honor that spirit. Yeah. Hmm. So what, what do you think when I mean, the majority of the skeptics will say, or I suppose the deniers will say that all all mediums are, are frauds. What would you say to those that proclaim that and and give um, you know, explanations like bias and things like that? I don't even I don't even uh, entertain. It's not worth answering that question because there's a reason they're denying, and and their minds are made up. And that's their path. And I'll honor that. I do. The evidence speaks for itself. And if your mind is open and you can see that, you'll see that. And so to even give power to them saying that is, to, is giving power to the human side of us. And it's not the human side of us that does this work. It's the soul. This is a soul-soul consciousness connection. And I honored soul. And so I honor the souls in those people who have not yet found that in themselves, or they would know this is real. Yes, yes. So what kind of... Um, you mentioned Gary Schwartz. Um, what other kind of research has been done on a more scientific basis on on this with um, blinding and uh, controlled oh there's dr like julie Beischel is with the winbridge uh institute i've not worked with her i've interviewed her on my radio show uh, institute of noetic sciences it's it's too bad that there aren't more doing research. The University of Virginia has done a lot with near-death experiences and past lives and reincarnation. But because of the skeptics in the scientific world, university people are afraid of losing their grants, the money that they need. So they need to they feel a need to follow the mainstream. So I really honor those who who are willing to step outside the box and with an open scientific mind look at this 
the challenges that science studies the material world mostly based on material paradigms, but we're talking about a subjective practice, which is beyond material. And that's why it's not replicable. So I had this really huge insight that somebody once said, don't ever say you can prove mediumship. The skeptics will eat you alive. But look at what the problem is, is we're using a scientific type of proof. Yet we have a legal system, a judicial system that will put people in jail for life, take away their freedom based on proof. And the judicial proof will convict someone or prove their guilt or innocence based on the preponderance of the evidence. And do you know what the definition of that is? Greater than 51% of a chance that it is more likely than not true. So that burden of proof is easily shown in valid evidential mediumship over and over and over. We're giving a lot of weight to science that studies objective reality, but this is subjective. Yes. And I mean, one, one of the main, my main points that I always mention is that in my opinion, science is, is kind of defined as materialism in these, these days, which is incorrect because science is a process of understanding the natural world. And to me, you know, any phenomena that's classed as paranormal or supernatural is, is natural. It's just undiscovered yet. So I, I I always say, and I don't know if, if I'm qualified, well, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not qualified to say, but it's my opinion anyway, that we should now, instead of dismissing all these phenomena, we should look to incorporate them into a new scientific method and develop the scientific method itself to incorporate them rather than just ignoring them. Well, you're on the vanguard of that, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, where was I going to go? So do we... I suppose because it's it's all very subjective these experiences do we have any idea kind of how what mediumship implies about the nature of consciousness in terms of um the theories of is it is it created by the brain is it received by the brain which is my personal oh. belief is well, it fundamental or <laughs> what it tells us is that an accurate evidential mediumship is showing you that they are having an experience of awareness, that's consciousness, with a disembodied aspect of consciousness. That's what you and I are, expressions of consciousness. So there's no brain involved. There's your answer yes, right there. Yes, yes. <laughs> there are other um, suggestions such as uh, these aren't necessarily <clears throat> disembodied personal forms of consciousness, but it's you're connecting to kind of a, a database of information, the Akashic Records, people call it, and it's an example of, of psi or super psi, you know, rather than okay. actual deceased. And relatives. so to use the term a database of information is a metaphor. Everything is a metaphor because we're trying to put words to arisings in consciousness, arising in awareness. So another metaphor for the database, the Akashic Records, is the sea of all consciousness. 
you and I are arising from that sea as a pattern, a unique pattern that arises in the sea of consciousness. Here is one sea of consciousness or one, the Akashic record. And here comes a pattern of consciousness. And we're going to call that record, Suzanne. And here's another record. And we're going to call it Darren. And for a while, that record is ex having experiences in consciousness in what we call a metaphor for earthly life. But that pattern still arises after the physical body which is a pattern of consciousness is no longer arising, but it's still arising. And so is a medium accessing an actual person or is that data coming out of the database again? Yes, it is in that analogy. In the sea of consciousness analogy, the sea itself is arising and repatterning and it is sentient. Right, it is sentient and self-aware because the entire sea of consciousness is sentient and self-aware. It's all consciousness. This is a limited finite activity of consciousness to which we give a name an identity, but it's all consciousness. I see. So when a medium is reaching out and con contacting this deceased individual, uh, they are initially part of consciousness as a whole but for that communication it's re-emerging as that individual for that and time it being may, that individual pattern may be continuing to have experiences in a different realm or it may have dissolved into the sea we don't know but when we reach out with intention using consciousness to contact them our intention causes it to arise it's quantum physics the observation of the pattern particularizes it and there's the interaction because all consciousness is self-aware and sentient. Hmm. So what do you think that implies about our experience, say, after death? So what, what would be the experience of um, the sea of being mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in that ocean? Uh, and then how would that experience change once we're contacted through a medium and are localized? And, and all of this, mean? of course, is theory. I, this is yeah, all theory. I won't know till I pass, but this, it's helping me to understand what's happening in readings. So after we pass, because the sea is simply maximizing its potential at all times, whatever serves the whole sea, and it doesn't have to create at all, it's doing it for the experience of it. If it serves the greater good, if there's still more evolution to be had from that unique pattern that arose here in physical form, well, then it'll continue to rise what we call across the veil after the physical body passes and may even come back and have another incarnation. Or maybe it's had so many incarnations, so many arisings in activity here in life that it's like, okay, we're just gonna add all of that back to the sea and not arise for a while yeah but of course as you say it's all speculation at this point because it we is. can't even think to reach at that level yeah. so moving on i suppose to a slightly different subject uh, of spirit guides how so i suppose first of all what what are spirit guides and, and how do we know that they exist by interacting with them by setting the intention that that we receive assistance from some level of consciousness 
that has access to more of the sea than we do. In other words, the bigger picture. And so why would the sea of consciousness, let's just call that source. Why would source only arise as human beings in this one reality when it has the potential to be anything? And why would there not be a hierarchy in our terms from the human level, but from the level of source, all equal? Some having a greater point of view than other levels. So the guides are a dimension, a level that has a greater point of view. And because it serves evolution of consciousness at these different levels for the fun of it, for the joy of it, for the growth, we're going to help those poor struggling humans, but they have to ask. We're not just going to jump in and help them. That's part of the evolution of coming to know that there is higher consciousness. So if they reach out and say, if I have guides, I'd like to connect with you. Great. Now we can have open conversations and we can give guidance as asked. And sometimes when not asked and it's all source and expression just different levels of vibration. So allegedly, theoretically, we're all assigned at least one main guide for life. I sure didn't believe in it when I first retired from the Navy, did not believe in spirit guides, but I've had so much connection with my guides with evidence, I can't deny it. And why would I want to when they are so amazingly helpful? Yes, absolutely. Stunningly helpful. Hmm. Yeah, I suppose one question that many would raise would be the. It seems strange that the stick with the same analogy. The sea of of consciousness is effectively, I suppose, reality itself, which contains all the information of all experience, and way so, beyond just this reality, all yes, realities. Yes, indeed. So why then would we need guides? Because we're connected to all knowledge. You don't. If you know that, but most don't know that. There's a channel channeler named Paul Selig, and he made this beautiful statement. Your guides are who you become when you realize who you are. And what he means by that is when you come to know you are source and expression, you are the sea bubbling up as you, then you realize at a the deepest level, I am the entire Akashic records. I am the entire sea. So theoretically, yeah, just mine that sea for all it's worth and you don't need the guides. But people and beings are here for the joy of it, for the love and the fun and the exploration and the discovery and the skeptics are missing out on magical moments magical. It is so magical to sit in meditation and say, guides, tell me something I don't know. Give me a message that will help people today. I've gotten thousands of messages that I put out in my daily way emails every day. They come from spirit. And I can't tell you how many times later that day, the exact words will come up in a book I'm led to by my guides that day. I always have a bunch of books on the go and I'll get in bed at night and they'll say, read this one. And I'll, it's just a thought and I'll open it up and go, oh my God, it's the exact words from their messages this morning. Or the daily messages talks about, I remember this one particularly from the guides, the daily message from the guides, 
dictating, and I'm taking dictation about puppies. You love your puppies because blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, why are they using that as the analogy today? I publish it and find out later it's National Puppy Day. Oh, right. See? Yeah. Yeah. And that's just for the fun of it, for the joy of it. If I didn't believe in guides, then I might be a pretty boring <laughs> person, you know, uh, and take life very seriously. Mm. Life yes. can be serious until you realize there's not the only life. Mm. Indeed. Yeah. Many, would, many would say that they have asked for help either through prayer, if, if they're religious, or through asking through spirit guides if they're more spiritually oriented but not religious and they'd say that they've never received an answer or they seem to have been ignored uh, especially if they're suffering you know people would, would often say well, why are they not helping the starving folks or the homeless or mm -hmm. those riddled with disease or those with cancer in children and things like that. so why are they not receiving the help that we deem important at times we miss the way the answers come but at other times we have to trust that we don't have the big picture from our finite view as one activity of consciousness here. My dear friend, Brenda Baker, who passed to the spirit world three years ago, was given a healing by a healer when she had cancer. It healed this final emotional trauma she'd suffered she felt absolutely free. She loved everyone, but it didn't heal her cancer. She died from the cancer, yet she was immediately awake and aware across the veil because she was communicating with me within 24 hours in her voice with some of the most stunning evidence ever that these bodies are simply costumes that we wear. And so people might say, well, we all prayed for her. She had a healing and she died anyway. But now she's teaching me and I'm sharing what she teaches me with others. And it's helping the growth of the whole. Her son is doing better than ever. He's not so dependent on her anymore. She's seen the incredible growth on him, even from across the veil. We all have. So prayers may not appear to be answered at this level, but from the bigger picture, it's all part of one story. Yes. Although I suppose the, the common argument is if, you know, why is it necessary that we have suffering at all? I mean, especially, um, what was it that Stephen Fry gave the example of bone cancer in children or, or something like that? You know, why, why is that necessary if, if the spirits should be able to prevent that from happening or yeah. Things like that, you know. This whole reality, argument. see the yin yang symbol back here, is the reality of duality, opposites, good and bad, for a reason. Very fast growth takes place that way. And many, many humans would not grow unless kicked in the pants. I would not be doing this work if I had not suffered desperately when my stepdaughter died. If I hadn't gone seeking answers, I would probably still be leading strategic planning sessions and be very bored and unsatisfied. Instead, I now live a life of almost total joy. I have moments just within the past month, my beloved dog of 16 years died. 
And I had my moments of grief, but I'm now able to see the bigger picture. So we, so I have pain, but I don't suffer. Yes, I can sympathize with the loss of your dog. I lost both of my dogs on January the 8th this year. Both? Both on the same day. Yeah, it was funny. I mean, well, it wasn't funny, but it was strange, you know. Our older one had been had been suffering with, with kidney failure for the past six months. I mean, six months with kidney failure is phenomenal. Um, and we took the second dog to get his teeth checked at the vets. And they gave him a quick once over and they found he had ridiculously huge cancer lumps on his liver. Mm-hmm. And um, the next day we had to have them both put down together. Oh, my goodness. And that Ooh. was that was a real pain. <laughs> that was hor- That was horrible to go through. So, but as you say, you know, we learn best through negative experiences than we do from any positive experience. I mean, and if I could add to that, though, the microphone here, the the thing to remember, though, is with that bigger picture, if we all can dissolve in our awareness back to the sea of consciousness, the sea itself is unperturbed by the waves. They are activity of the sea, but the sea simply is. So the activity is an experience, but like clouds that pass through the sky, dark clouds, bright clouds, they don't affect the sky. That's why any of these practices that help us to know ourselves as both the clouds and the sky, the waves and the sea, When we know that, then we can become as the sea and find peace and contentment no matter what waves or clouds are passing through our awareness. That's the bottom line to all of this. Yes, I mean, the the sky is exactly as it is regardless, but the clouds interpret the way that we see that sky. Yes. So... People have different ideas on what happens after death. Some will say that um, after we leave the body, we become immediately all-knowing because we merge directly with that sea. Others say that we continue to grow in different ways but don't have that connection to all-knowingness. Um, what, what do you think is, is correct? I would say at some level we already are all-knowing, but there's a filter. It's Right now it's the brain that keeps us from accessing that all-knowingness. Perhaps at night when we leave our consciousness that's poorly stated there. When we release our focus on the physical world, we dissolve into that unknowing state. We don't know. (laughs) But when we cross, I can only speak from the experience of tapping into spirits who have crossed. There's various levels of awareness and access even across the veil. But my friend Brenda has told me she doesn't immediately have all the answers because she still has some kind of filter that's not caused by the brain. It's the, oh, I get it. It's the limited focus that remains on that pattern that is Brenda, you know? And as long as you keep that focus there, you don't have the full access. So it seems that there is some, something akin to physical matter, but in a different form that does keep us still in that individual. What matter is frozen energy, right? So frozen consciousness. So we just dissolve more and more and more and have greater access to greater awareness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So with guides, I suppose another question, why do they always seem to come through as either um, Native American or Egyptian? Most people I've spoken to who are in this field have, have their main guides who are Native American. For really? Instance. Okay. Yeah. That's because they've heard it from other people and they imagine that. Or also because some of those cultures actually that's their path to continue to guide more from an intuitive level and being more in touch with nature. Native Americans make good guides. I, I'm not aware of those. Mine were, I have one who was had an incarnation in Russia, but other than that, I don't focus so much on their background. Just what, how can you help me? <laughs> Yes, indeed. Yeah. Yes, from a more practical point of view. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So after you lost your your dogs or your dog, sorry. No, two. Um, one a year before. So one a year before. Yeah. So, um, what do you think? What, what is their experience now? Do you believe that they still continue? And well, what changed my worldview was the moment of both of their passings. We helped them cross with a dear friend who's a veterinarian, and she came to our house for a sacred. Yes, Helping for us as well. And I had my hand on Gretchen, the female who passed a year ago, and she had a terrible tumor that overtook her throat and head. Oh, and she was in terrible pain, so we were happy to help her get out of her pain. And we were crying as the doctor was administering to her. And suddenly, at the moment that the medicine kicked in, this burst of joy overtook me as she burst out of her body and I heard, I'm free, I'm free. And I felt her whip around me three times and then whoosh, whoosh, just drawn away. It was so joyous. The tears turned to laughter and tears of joy. And I couldn't be sad for a few hours. It was so, it so imbued me with that. And then I grieved terribly after that. And the lesson from that was we're not here to feel better. We're here to feel better. So feel the grief, feel all the emotions. It's okay to grieve. You came here to be human. So then now a month ago when our little boy Rudy passed, he had been failing for a long time and he finally couldn't even stand up to eat anymore. So here's the doctor again and have my hand on him. And I wondered, will I feel something this time? And let me remember how it was. Oh, I remember now. It was very similar to with Gretchen, but it was this overwhelming release. It was this expansive energy like, oh, I've been in this sick body for a year and a half. Wow. Mm, it, so, it was release and relief. And then I just, I was with him running like he used to run through a field and then off he went. And then a couple of days later, my guide, Brenda, handed him to me and I said, you're back. And he was like, yeah, I got to chase squirrels again. And, and you know, can we be making that up or is this, is that arising from the sea of consciousness for the joy it will bring. Does it matter? Does it matter? It alleviated the grief and it was a spontaneous arising of consciousness 
that helped me heal. So consciousness is quite intelligent. Let it, let it do its thing instead of questioning it all the time. So what, what do you think is the experience of, of the animal kingdom in general, wild animals as well as, as pets? How do they feed into this um, consciousness? What I, I can only ocean. speak to what I've been told by my guides, and I trust them very much. And they said that in the case of domestic animals, they actually have a personality. And that is an identifiable pattern, just like people. And so we recognize that pattern. And when it comes around us again, we say, oh, that's my dog or that's my cat. And that we, because we are entangled, that we'll actually, we can feel them continuing around us. It serves the greater good for that loving relationship to be continued. But in the case of cows or goats, there's a, a great cow soul in the spirit, one pattern of all cows, and the soul would just dissolve back into that pattern and then recreate again as another cow. I see. And that would be the same for cows, ants, flies, probably yeah. bacteria as well. Yeah. So I suppose, what would you say, how would that translate to those who say, um, find a wild hedgehog, for instance, um, and who's suffering or, or is ill and they bring it home, have an attachment to it. What would then, what would that mean then for that particular hedgehog? Would that then develop a, because there would be an attachment there, if you see what I mean. It would, and, and I'm, I'm hearing to. from the guides that anything that increases the awareness of love, which is the connective energy with all that is, love is lack of separation, is is a natural arising in consciousness. And that, again, if that relationship serves the evolution of the human, then that pattern will arise and continue to be around them after that hedgehog passes. Again, all conjecture, how's that feel? Yes, indeed. How do spirits often um, give us signs that they're still around? I mean, in terms of physical signs, people have butterflies. I had a very interesting experience with yes. foxes recently and you know things like that. And hence the fox beside hence you. Hence the fox, yeah. They've always been my favorite animals. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you that story as well after you've answered the question, if you've be interested because everything dissolves back into awareness which is synonymous with consciousness consciousness is the medium through which signs are given so we have a loved one across the veil who is consciousness as a disembodied human who sees a butterfly which is consciousness arising as a butterfly near their loved one merges their consciousness with the butterfly and says, go fly in a circle around them. The butterfly cooperates because it's all consciousness and leaves a sign that's undeniable. That's what first got me knowing something was going on with the butterfly sign. Uh, consciousness of a loved one across the veil will put the thought in our head, turn the radio on now. Oh, I think I'll turn the radio on. And there's the song that is your loved one's favorite song or the lyrics speak to you because with the bigger picture the loved ones can see oh if they turn it on the radio right now that song is playing so it's a merging of consciousness uh at in so many different ways 
just to get our attention. If we pay attention, we see yes. the signs. Yes. If we take an example, yes. So if we take the example of, of a radio, for example, playing a certain tune or a certain phrase, many would say that, well, um, you think that uh, spirits are going to put a certain song on there just for you. And that seems to be that what you're saying, therefore, and which I believe as well, is that that song is already playing at that time. It's mm -hmm. just that they're now pointing your attention towards it. So they're it's not adding anything. Rainbows. In. I mean, scientists will tear you to pieces and say, oh, you see a rainbow. You think that's your loved one. Yeah, but how many times is there a rainbow and we don't notice it? But what makes you look up right then and you see a rainbow and it's your birthday? The spirits see the rainbow and say, look up now, turn around, or they're not paying attention. Hey, friend, tell your friend, look at that rainbow. It's just one big web of consciousness. Yes. And also that one rainbow may not be specifically a sign for you. It may be a no. sign for so many other people, yeah. all of whom have been told to look. Yeah. But not exactly a sign or it could be a creation of consciousness or it could be just a phenomenon of weather. But awareness sees it and optimizes that by putting the thoughts in the mind, look now. Mm -hmm. So I wonder how you'd interpret my experience that I had uh, after I lost my two dogs. Uh, I lost them on the 8th. On the 20th, I was watching the Netflix series Surviving Death, which I think you really should have been a part of, in my opinion, <laughs> but regardless. Um, and I saw the example of the red cardinal that was sent, and I don't know if you've seen it. No, but that's one of my dad's signs. So All right. So it was a red cardinal that came and, and sat in this woman's hand and wouldn't leave, even though they were pushed, it, it refused to go. And I said, well, I said on the 20th, if you can do that to me, for me with foxes, Ty and Omi, you know, my two dogs, just send me a tame wild fox, you know, reasonably tame so I know it's you because foxes nice. aren't tame. Nice. Um, three days or so after that, we went out walking. I've never seen a fox around here in 23 years of living here. And one darted out in front of me across the road at night. And it wasn't tame, but it, it darted out in front of me. And I yeah. thought, that's unusual. But we'd only recently started walking out at night, so I thought maybe I just haven't seen them because I haven't been out. Uh, a few days after that, a second ran out in front of the road, across okay. the road in front of me. And I thought, okay, this is getting a bit strange now. <laughs> but never mind. Um, and another few days after that, we were out. Um, it was me, mum, and dad, actually. It was usually me and mum that went out walking, but dad came with us this time, and I thought... Every time Dad's come with me, nothing interesting has happened. So if you can send me that tame fox now, that'll be pretty impressive. And I think it was about five minutes or so after thinking that, bang, there goes a third right in front of us. Again, none of them were tame. So there's always that doubt part of me that says, this must have just been a coincidence, but, you know, because it wasn't tame. If it was tame, I'd know. Well, what's your but, definition of tame? Well, what are you just, looking for? You know, something that would just maybe either just stop and maybe approach a little bit, you know. Something unusual fox activity. Yeah. That is you know. unusual activity to have three times. So just I know. honor yeah. that. Absolutely honor that. Mm. Yeah. And well, so here's yeah. the thing. Spirit knows you're going to go out. Spirit being consciousness source knows you're going to be going out for the walk. Where did the thought come from to ask for it at that time? You know, it's all one mind just coming at it from different angles. Mm -hmm. That's no, that's fantastic. I remember, I remember my brother was not on board with all of this and we, I, the mediumship and I was sharing the signs and we all agreed that dad's sign was a cardinal and his, our grandmother was his favorite. And 
her, she had doves around her all the time. So I was sitting at, in somebody's backyard and a cardinal landed right when I was thinking about dad. So I sent a photo with my phone to my brother. Look, dad's here. And dad is not the cardinal, just sends the sign, right? And he said, yeah, well, I won't believe it unless a dove comes down too. 30 seconds later, a dove came and landed beside the cardinal, got the picture together. And since then, my brother's a believer. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Seeking Eye Life Exploration Podcast. If you did and would like to continue following my research, please consider subscribing to my YouTube channel and following the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify and other podcast providers. You can also join our Facebook discussion group. You can find the link to this and other Seeking Eye online profiles at seeking-eye.com. Thank you.